People, get ready to explore in a way you never have before with the Defender 110. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with thoroughly modern design, a reimagined exterior, a robust interior, a superior off-road capability. The Defender 110 lets you go further and do more. It has powerful innovations like intuitive driver display. Whether you're headed to uncharted territory or just a weekend of exploration, the Defender 110 is up to the challenge. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender. Hey, look, I'm sure you take a lot of vitamins. Maybe you take a daily multivitamin. Maybe you take ones to boost your immunity or ones to help with alertness. What about your cells? Are you giving your cells the full nutrition they need, especially as we age? I am, thanks to Solgar. Solgar is part of my daily routine, thanks to their cellular nutrition line. Give yourself a daily collection of nutrients designed to help fight cellular decline and promote cell health. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more and use promo code MarkMarin, all one word, to get 20% off. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers, what the fuck buddies? What the fuckadelics? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. We're going at it a long time now, over 12 years, it seems. Is that possible? Yes. It's Christmas week. I guess uh, travel is going to be impossible for anybody going anywhere in the middle of the country and probably anywhere in general, because generally a storm that's supposed to happen like this will cripple the entire air travel ecosystem. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to go, I'm supposed to go spend some time with my dad. This might be the uh, the last holiday season where he remembers me. That's heavy. Kit was supposed to fly back to Chicago to see her people. I don't know if that's going to happen because of this fucking storm. It's disappointing, but look, it's it's uh, it's a it's a harsh thing. Climate change, and whenever they call something a bomb cyclone, all of a sudden you you start hearing names for things you never heard for. This thing is the it's the horrendous wind. What? Yeah, they upgraded it to horrendous. The bomb cyclone. Maybe that's a a weather term that's been used before. I was wondering how long it would take for planes to start dropping out of the air because of climate-related problems. Uh, This might be it. A bomb cyclone. Wait, have you ever heard one of those before? No, they they had to create a new name. It's probably not true. I know there's probably some meteorologists out there or people who study weather as a pastime that are like, no, man. No, the bomb cyclone has been around. There's only been like two of them. And this is this is one. I don't know, man. But uh, good luck with the traveling. If you get stuck, I hope you're okay. Maybe you should start uh, building your brain around that. The possibility of disappointment in terms of travel. But maybe you're you maybe you're one of those people that's relieved. It's like, oh, my God, we might not have to go. What a blessing. What a Christmas blessing this is. Hey, look, I have Scott Cooper on the show today. Scott Cooper is a writer, director, actor. He made the films Crazy Heart with Jeff Bridges, Black Mass with Johnny Depp, Out of the Furnace and Hostiles, both with uh, Christian Bale. He's got a new movie out uh, also with Christian Bale. It's called uh, The Pale Blue Eye. And it's kind of a great gothic whodunit that uses uh, Edgar Allan Poe as a character. It's one of those historical kind of mystery 
horror things that uses a real guy. And the guy who plays Poe is great. And Christian Bale's the other guy. And he's Christian Bale. He's always going to be pretty fucking good. But I met this guy on an airplane. It was one of those situations. It was funny. So I'm sitting next to this guy. And I'm, I don't recognize him, but he's reading Willie Nelson's autobiography. It's got a big picture of Willie on the front cover. It's a hardback. And all I know is every time I look over at that guy, maybe he was across the aisle from me. And I had an empty seat next to me for some odd reason. And I kept looking over there, and Willie was looking right at me. It's one of those pictures. It looking right at me from the book. And this guy's reading his book. And he's pretty earnest. He's listening to music. Seems like a serious dude. And then, not unlike many air travel experiences, I don't know why this happens, but I can sit next to somebody and not say a word to them for five hours of flying. And then, as soon as we're descending into LA, it's sort of like, so you, where are you, you from here? And then the conversation starts. It was one of those situations where, you know, he, I, in my recollection, he came over to the seat next to me. We talked for a while. He said, you know, he knew who I was and he was a director. He told me he directed Black Mass. I was like, holy fuck, you're a real guy. You're a real director. You're the real thing, man. That's some serious shit. And then Crazy Heart, I'm like, damn. So I was happy to talk to him. And I knew he was working on a new movie. At that time, I think it was Hostiles, which is also a great movie. Guy's a good director. Great director. And, you know, I invited him on the show way back then. And we've been sort of in touch here and there through texting. And finally, it happened. Uh, And it was good. He's a serious guy. Serious director. um, Does the thing. It's a very interesting shift from that first movie, Crazy Heart, into all of these other darker movies. He did that movie, Antlers, which is a horror movie. And he uses that guy Rory uh, uh, all the time, that guy I interviewed. Rory Cochran. The first time I saw that guy or noticed him was in Black Mass. He played one of uh, uh, Whitey Bulger's uh, hit guys, one of his henchmen. And it was so fucking deep and creepy. I just couldn't believe it. You know, Jesse Plemons was in that too. It was, he gets great performances out of people. But anyways, he's here on the show. So, look, I went back to the heart doctor because I don't know if I told you, but the last time I was there, I, I went, I went, I had all the tests, stress tests, but then I felt like I needed more. So I had a, 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 another appointment with the guy. I said, I want an angiogram. He's like, why? You don't need one. I'm like, I just, I think I need one. I'm talking to many people my age who have these heart problems. He's like, yeah, but we checked you out. I'm like, can I just get one? Why can't, I'll pay for it. Just give me an angiogram. I want, I want to see, I want to know what's in my, in my pipes. He's like, you don't need an angiogram. Let's do this nuclear stress test. I'm like, what does that do? And he's like, well, it's like a stress test, except we shoot you up with a radioactive thing and we take images before and after you exercise and that'll determine your blood flow and whether or not it's restricted and we should be concerned. It's one step shy of an angiogram and a lot cheaper. I'm like, great, let's do that. So I went and did that. So I don't know how that turned out. That was exciting. So I'm I'm just, my veins are lit up with radioactivity right now. I just look, man. I don't want to be surprised from the inside. That's all. There's not, you don't have much control over being surprised from the outside. You know, a car accident, a a tree falls on you, a a random shooter. I mean, you don't, who the hell knows, you know, once you're out in the world or even in your house, a beam could fall on you. You could get an infection uh, from a, a, a tick, whatever. But I don't want to be surprised from the inside if I can avoid it. So there's a certain vigilance that has to go on in terms of making sure you're healthy and doing what you need to be to be healthy. So you get a heads up, heads up, cancer on the way, heads up, dementia on the way, heads up, your valves are all stuffed up. We got to unstuff them. Minimize being surprised 
from the inside. That's that's my new motto as I go. Minimize the possibility of being surprised from the inside. Again, outside, you just have to be vigilant, be careful, look both ways, run if you have to. But the inside's tricky. It's tricky, I tell you. Listen, this guy's a heavy guy, this Scott Cooper. Makes heavy movies. He's the real deal. Gets out there into the West and does the thing like the old guys. And uh, it was great talking to him. His movie, The Pale Blue Eye, premieres on Netflix tomorrow, December 23rd. And this is uh, me talking to Scott Cooper. I've seen The Almonds a couple of times. In you fact, did? In fact, before, uh, before Greg died? In fact, uh, Greg Allman came to the premiere of Crazy Heart. And did I'll he? never forget it. He approached me after and he, he said... That hit me real good. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. A lot, a lot of musicians had seen themselves in, in Jeff Bridges. What, what surprised me about Greg Allman when I saw him you know, short, short, shortly before he died is that he is uh, tiny. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. I, you know, like when I've seen Robert Plant, too, like I, I saw them both oddly. Well, I don't know where I saw Plant, but I saw Greg Allman. I was at the counter at the Bowery Hotel. Yep. And he walked behind me, and I'm like, like a ghost. Who, Greg Allman? Yeah. Before, it was shortly before he passed. But he was, he was tiny. Tiny guy. Big heart. Great Hey, sound. man, that last solo album, those little country blues, oh the God. one that T-Bone produced. Well, right? that's, that, that's, that's why I was in the studio with them. With T-Bone? Yeah. And uh, when you were thinking the, about Crazy Heart? No, we were finishing Crazy Heart. Or, or we hadn't yeah. yet. We hadn't yet. Uh, I think uh, we hadn't yet um, recorded the soundtrack. He was finishing Greg Allman. That one? He knew, yes, he knew that I was uh, a, a big Allman Brothers fan. Do you know Greg was on his way out? Uh, no, and he invited me down. That's why Greg came, actually, now that I think about it, no. So the movie was finished because Greg then came to the premiere of Crazy Heart, which right. is where I was so touched with, with what he said afterwards. What other musician came to Crazy Heart? Uh, Dwight Yoakam was there. That makes sense. Um, uh, I think Willie Nelson wrote a nice piece about the film. Really? I think Jackson Brown was there. I think um, this was here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, that'll uh, make sense. Maybe Don Henley. Don uh, Henley, you guys pals? No, but uh, he seems difficult. Uh, is that right? <laughs> I well, don't no, know. He, he seemed lovely to me. Really loved the film. Uh, I think a lot of people saw themselves in Bad Blake and Jeff's character for someone who had either fallen in hard times or. You know, people who now, carry what, their own amps to uh, right, yeah, to shows in bowling alleys. Maybe not. I, I can't imagine Don Henley played in a bowling alley or Jackson. Brown, well, I maybe. mean, I think they they have similar up up. You know, you come up however you come up. There's an equivalent to it. It's not, it, but that was a guy on the other side of it. That's at right. the bowling alley, he wasn't like <laughs> he wasn't coming up. He was oh, going no, no, down. No. He was going down, and we opened the film with a man who's just driven. Uh, I don't know, three hundred, four hundred miles has taken a piss in a. Uh, empty milk jug. Yeah, yeah. Pours that out at a bowling alley. It's like similar to like I, I think was, Duvall was in it too, wasn't he? For a minute, Duvall was in it. Uh, he produced it. Did he? I actually spoke to him on the way over here. You did? I speak to him almost every day. What What are you talking about with Robert Duvall? Uh, today we talked about World Cup. He loves soccer. His yeah. wife is Argentinian. Uh-huh. We talked about- He's in the, Virginia? He's in Virginia. Which yeah. is, uh, where was, you come from? Yep, where I'm from. We were, I was married on his uh, on his farm. Yeah, his and, horse farm? Yep. Uh-huh. Which dates back to, I think, 1743, surveyed by George Washington. It's everything you might imagine. It's stunning. And wh- how do you know him? 
Uh, we did a film together. We've, we've made, as actors, we've made three films. The first film we made together was uh, a Warner Brothers epic Civil War film called Gods and Generals in which he played Robert E. Lee and uh-huh. I played one of uh, a young adjutant and uh, I had a big scene with him that, that I think was cut for the film. Mm-hmm. And I recall that, of course, I and every, every other actor was nervous when you're in the company of who's maybe the greatest American screen actor who ever lived. Marlon yeah. Brando thought that he was the greatest screen actor who ever lived. Yeah. Um, he has a letter, handwritten letter at home uh-huh. from Brando on his deathbed saying that very really? thing that he did not want to uh, frame, but his wife didn't put it up in a far corner of a library. So I had this big scene with Duvall. Of course, I was incredibly nervous. I had to... Uh, How is he as a, a guy on set? Intimidating. Um you're talking about a man who's made a hundred films and some of the greatest uh, yeah. films ever made. No um, doubt. And then we had our scene. Didn't say anything to me. Um, later, his assistant came and knocked on my. I think I was in a honey wagon and my yeah. trailer was so small I could barely yeah, turn right, around. So the quarter, the quarter trailer. Yeah, <laughs> or, or an eighth of a trailer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he said, "Mr. Duvall would like to take you to dinner." And I thought, "Oh shit. Okay. Well." Uh, this very well could be the end of, of, of my what? acting career oh. as it's starting to... Why would he take a whole dinner yeah, to exactly. do that? Yeah. Well, who knows? Yeah. Um, he also knew that I was from Virginia. Oh, okay. And, and he said to me, he said, I really like the way, uh, the way you work. I, I, I you know, think you're a very good actor, which you know, is the, the best thing you could ever take yeah. from, from Robert Duvall. Sure. And we struck up a friendship that to this day uh, has not ceased. And he's really, uh, he's almost like a second father to yeah. me. Um, like I said, I speak to him three or four times. How often do you a talk week. to your real dad? Uh, much less, believe it or not. <clears throat> <laughs> I believe it. Yeah, and and uh, uh, and Bobby, as he likes to be called, Duvall. He uh, was the first person to read my screenplay for Crazy Heart because yeah. I was auditioning for a lot of films and becoming a bridesmaid or not getting them. And he said, "You know what? You should do what I did when when uh, I before I wrote and directed The Apostle." He said, uh, "Why don't you write something?" And he was the guy that said that. Mm-hmm. And I was in, uh, I happened to be at that point, uh, really into Merle Haggard, who's the poet laureate of yeah, country music. Of course. Listening to a lot of Merle Haggard, a lot of Waylon Jennings, a lot of Towns Van Sant. And Towns is sad. Yeah. And uh, I thought, well, uh, why don't I make an amalgamation of all these characters? A little bit of Chris Christopherson as well. Yeah. And out of that, uh, uh, based on Thomas Cobb's novel, came came Crazy Heart, and, and I was writing it for Jeff Bridges, even though nobody knew. I mean, Jeff didn't know me. And, so and that's based on a book. It is, kind yeah. Of. I mean, generally, if I base something on a book, I uh, there's a seed take of something liberty, that I like. Take some liberties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, you, have, you have to be very clear with the author that there's a big difference between a film and a movie. Well, you know, well, what's interesting with Duvall and that connection and everything else is that, you know, Tender Mercies is, a, mm. is in the same... Area. Oh boy, what a and, performance that yeah, but, is! But that, oh, dude, it's so good. And that opening where he's just on the floor. <laughs> and how about <laughs> you know, the only time he sings in the movie, he turns his back to the camera. Yeah, I mean that takes balls. But going back, you know, you come from Virginia, but was it always the like? Where did you grow up exactly? Yeah, I grew up in this small town called Abingdon, Virginia, which is the Abington. S- southwestern part of of the state that um, is is really kind of the. If there is such a thing, yeah. Yeah. artistic crown jewel of Virginia. It's from the state way? state theater of Virginia. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of great musicians. Is uh, there pottery there? There seems to be a lot of pottery around the South. 
everywhere I go. A lot of arts, Seagrove, yeah, and Pottery, oh, Asheville, yeah. and of course it's very near Asheville, mm-hmm. and, and uh, uh, a lot of great uh, bluegrass musicians. Like uh, I grew up really listening to a lot of bluegrass. I like think. who? Well, the first song I ever heard was uh, little that I can remember is uh, "Little Maggie" by Ralph Stanley. Uh huh. Ralph, who um, uh, whom my family knew a bit. Uh, was your family in the arts? Well, my father taught English literature. My grandmother, oh, he did as he did. well. Yeah, at and, the where at? Well, he taught at a uh, boarding school in Charlottesville. Um, he was taught himself by uh, the great William Faulkner at the University of Virginia. At Oxford, I, where was no, it? No, at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, not in Mississippi. No, he taught uh, Faulkner taught for a couple of years at UVA before he became, or like at what point? No, in no, his no. Career? He, he was uh, he'd won the Nobel. He oh, so he was like a, a guy, a visiting professor. That's right. For a couple I, of and years, he taught. He, yeah, taught my father. And did your father say like, all right, so let's go through the Sound and the Fury page by page? <laughs> exactly. I want an explanation. Well, I don't know that he did that, but <laughs> but there are some recordings of. Um, Faulkner teaching these classes that, that the University of Virginia have put online and my father oh, claims really? that he can hear himself asking a question. Not that question, but something. Who knows if that's true? The Quentin section <laughs> of The Sound and the Fury is a brain bender. Yes. <laughs> and the, so, so yeah, that, that really, uh, yeah. growing up in, in, uh, at a place kind of rich in tradition, of yeah. musical tradition, literature. Um, uh, You're a Faulkner guy? Oh, yeah. And uh, I've been asked actually to uh, adapt a couple of uh, Faulkner's uh, uh, novels. Which, like which one? Um, Light in August. Uh, really? Sanctuary, which uh, which is great. Yeah. Um, they did the Reavers, I think, with uh, Steve McQueen. And, yes, that's uh, right. Uh, I can't remember the other guy. As I lay dying. So uh, eventually, I, I look, you know, we're at a time now, uh, I guess one could do it for, for um, limited television. Um, Yachnapatafa streaming. County. Yeah, but we're we're in a tough tough place. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure to do a Faulkner uh, yeah, uh, yeah, miniseries. Not, well, I'm not sure. Uh, America you can go through uh, all of it. Wants to wants to race out to the cinema. Sure. So there's a whole mythology around Yakna Patafa County. There was a a, a scholar right. named what was his name Clanth Brooks, who uh, who his whole life was being a Faulkner scholar a and kind of laid name. that shit out. Clanth, Clanth Brooks. Jesus. So okay, so you're coming up in 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 you know uh, a liberal, I'm assuming, or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like uh, education forward, creative thinking, good, all that stuff. Yeah, and and when you, I think when you when your you mom grow taught? up in a, uh, she did not. No, no, she was a homemaker. Okay, um, and I think when you grow up in a uh, uh, small southern town that that's more arts oriented, yeah. like, like Abingdon is, yeah. like I said, the State Theater of Virginia, it's a great great tradition. Um, the arts are kind of in your blood, but yeah. it's not something. Doing what I do as a film writer and film director is is not something that that kids aspire to right. from Southern Virginia. Just because no one from Southern Virginia really does that. But did you, or were you more? No, I thought more about being an actor. Yeah, and and uh, which is why I then went to New York City. Uh, How old were you? Studied there, you know, in my. Um, uh, early twenties, studied in um, uh, at the Lee Strasberg. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. school. But when, as when you were growing up and like you know learning about things, was that like a, a romantic idea that yes. if you were going to study, it was going to be at Lee Strasberg? I'm going to do method. Yes, because the actors that I most responded to, uh, you know, had had, uh, had had studied there. And who were they? Of course, who were your of guys? Of course, Duval studied at uh, Stella Adler. Right. Um, of course, I didn't. I wasn't thinking of Bobby in in, in those terms. Who but, are you thinking about? Well, of course, uh, in terms of utilizing some sort of yeah. method, would have, of course been De Niro yeah. and Pacino. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, 
you know, I, I whether he studied there or not, I was really taken by Gene Hackman. Oh, the greatest. Hackman and Duvall are the greatest. Man. Were they roommates? Who was it? They, Who is it? they were roommates. Right, that's right, that's right. And good friends. And one day, uh, quick story. Yeah. On the set of Crazy Heart, shooting Jeff Bridges in a close-up. Yeah. Uh, we were lighting. Jeff wasn't on set. Yeah. I was just there with my cinematographer. Uh, I hear this voice behind me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Duvall here? Yeah. <laughs> I turn around and backlit, I swear to God, was Gene Hackman. In Santa Fe? Because that's where he lives I now. know, I know, yeah. And uh, I said, uh, Mr. Hackman, no, he's um, uh, he isn't here today, but I, I certainly will call him if, if you want to stick around. He's not far from here. Yeah. Said, nah, just tell him Gene stopped by. <laughs> and just turned and was gone. That was it. <laughs> That was my one experience with Gene Hackman, and I thought, Jesus. Bobby's great, though. I mean, he, he, he still watches a lot of movies, and yeah. he'll call me after seeing movies that people are putting up uh-huh. for Oscar contention and just rips them apart. Yeah. How old is he? 92. Is he really? 92, but Hackman's still- Hackman's got to be up there, too. Yeah, I think he is, and, but, but still uh, uh, really sharp and lucid and, and has very strong opinions, and mm. I hope at 92 I'm uh, living the life that, that Robert Duvall is. So you go to New York, Strasburg, doing the method, the repetition, getting in yep. deep sense memory. Yeah, I have a lot of sense memory to 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 to, to draw from. Sure, um, which would come later. In do you my... have? But do you have uh, brothers, sisters? I I have a brother uh, who was not in the arts, and yeah. I had a uh, a younger sister who uh, unfortunately passed when I was young. Mm. And wow. th- those things really inform. Uh, so you well, as an artist, and your how old were you? <clears throat> I was four, and I, and I distinctly remember- She was younger? She was seven. Oh, she was seven. Coming home and lying on the sofa, yeah. and, my, and my mom putting a cold compress on her head, and I was holding her hand, and then um, four days later, she was dead. Oh, my God. Yeah. In the house? No, in the hospital. Oh. Died. A, she had, at school, contracted a, a, a rare form of meningitis. Meningitis, right. Mm. And uh, That's terrible. Well- And your brother's older? He is. Oh, but you, everyone was conscious. Oh boy, we're, uh, more more than ever, and you know that really informs uh, your life. Um, but like, how how do you see that? Like in the work now, how does it inform well, you as a person? You know, it's it's funny. I think it was Guillermo del Toro when I was telling him the yeah. story, and he produced a film of mine, and he's a really close pal and kind of good guy mentor to yeah. me. Yeah, and um, when I told him the story about yeah. my parents losing. My sister, he said, it all makes sense. I said, in what way? He yeah. said, well, in your films, in most all of your films, a child dies. Uh, in Crazy Heart, a child doesn't die, but he's lost. Yeah. Um, a, a child does die in Out of the Furnace. Yeah. Uh, Whitey Bulger's child did die. That's in, right, um, but dies in a similar hostiles, way. Yeah, hostiles, you know, three children die in the opening moments of the film. Uh-huh. Antlers, a child dies. And then, uh, oh, so that was, yeah. yeah, so so I didn't think of that, Mark, and I thought, Jesus, man. I mean, instead of, you know, going to therapy, which I probably should have been in, I uh, seem to explore all that through my movies. But you're not consciously haunted by it? It's it's kind of in there? Well, I certainly think about it. Uh, really? Every day. Oh, yeah. Every day. Well, I think because I'm, uh, uh, as a parent to oh. two, two girls... Um, you know, that's really the only thing I fear. I don't fear not making another film. I don't fear my movies not performing. Yes. Yeah. You know, it's a loss of a child. It's I the only know. thing that you can't quite 
control, and I now have Ever. a daughter who's a freshman at uh, in, in in college, uh. and she's away, and and uh, you know, so so I'm probably more um, sensitive to you know viral transmission, COVID, flu, yeah, all sure. those sort of things, yeah. meningitis, than than I otherwise would be because I, I I generally live my life without fear. That's the only thing that. But the kids, yeah, yeah. I I don't know how I don't have them, and it's one of the reasons I don't. <laughs> I no, can't. no, that makes that makes complete sense. I'm, I'm prone to panic. Well, they, they 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 that will incite panic. You know, every night that that you know, yeah, can't you, you don't fall know asleep? You I have don't no have... idea. No, Ugh. certainly one. My daughter's in college up north. Yeah, and um, and uh, yeah, you. How often do you talk to her? Oh, uh, we're in constant contact. <laughs> we're we're incredibly close. <laughs> it's uh, a, close family. You're texting every day. Texting, calling. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's yeah. good. You got to have. That, uh, that yeah, but I think about that in terms of parenting because my parents did not even having lost my sister. They, you know, I, I think my wife and I are are like a lot of parents of this generation who, uh, speaking just for us, who who were kind of helicopter parents, sure. yeah, or lawnmower parents, kind of clearing the path for them. Yeah, my parents were, I guess, kind of like submarine parents. They were lurking but surface when needed. Out past dark, but who's right. to say that? You know, I mean, it's like you did all right. You know, you know, what I mean, like you, you know, I think the biggest, and I don't have kids, but it seems like you got to let them be who they are, one way or the other. And I think that it's hard. It is. I hope that we we haven't stifled them in, in any in any way by you know trying to to maintain this kind of closeness with them. I, I hope we haven't. They're really lovely young young women who are incredibly smart and passionate yeah. and and understanding. Uh, you know, faced with the world that our generations have yeah. left them with, yeah, uh, a lot of issues they got to deal. Sure, with. but when, but in in the aftermath of of your sister passing, I mean, mm. like, did your parents, you know, recover from? The, like, sometimes when I hear those stories, it, it's something that hangs heavy forever. I think one of my uncles told me that that my father didn't get out of bed for a month. A month? That's but that's all right. I'm not that sure that makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, but it wasn't like something was permanently removed from the family. No, that, it, yeah. qu- quite quite the opposite. Yeah. Uh, it's a very tightly knit Virginia family. Yeah. Um, but look, then then my parents, of course, were incredibly devoted to to my brother yeah. and, and me. And and but I I do think that probably in growing up in 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 Abingdon kind of really pushed me towards the humanities and and the arts and and how do you express whatever the grief that you're living through the pain that because we're all living with pain and uncertainty and PTSD grief yeah, sure yeah no I, I I talk about it a lot in the stand-up now but so well, you brought uh, it look you're you're very very uh, well aware of that yeah with that stealing fragility like of life and loss yes but tell the, the thing that I keep coming around to with it is that it's like it's completely common. Nothing unusual. There's nothing unusual no. about tragedy. No, no. Which and and and, and I explore tragedy in almost every film yeah. of mine, um, in one way or another. And yeah, and, um, you're not making comedies. No, no, <laughs> no Mark, I'm not. <laughs> but but so okay. So you do the Shroudsburg thing, and then what? What's your break? Well, How do you then get Then I traction? realized. Well, uh, then I realized that uh, New York City is a hard place mm-hmm. to live in uh, if you have no money. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, uh, and the weather's tough. It was just a hard place in, in for the, you, you know, mid nineties. Yeah, sure. I love New York City. It's one of my favorite places. It's great. And 
and I had some friends who were doing uh, quite well uh, who had who were living out here. Adrian Brody, who's a good friend of mine, yeah. who's a really wonderful actor. Yeah. Uh, at the time, uh, the young act, uh, Skeet Ulrich was like Skeet. Yep. So I uh, moved out here. We all kind of piled around, lived yeah. together, and and um, and I think that change of scenery helped, even though. I still was was an actor who was struggling and and ultimately an actor with uh, an unremarkable career. Yeah. Then I meet Duval. But what were you doing? You're doing like you're getting parts here and there. Yeah, yeah, uh, not great parts, but parts just to survive. And and the fact is, you know, the, you're being offered things that, and I've forgotten what they are that I, I probably should have done. But I thought, no, no, De Niro wouldn't do that. Oh, you were doing that. that. Oh, yeah, like an asshole. But so, but you came out here. You got management. You got agent. You know, you yeah, had yeah, friends. Yeah. You were running around with a, yeah, co- had, a group had a, of guys. Had a very uh, good agent who's uh, who 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 died uh, uh, far too young. Yeah, lady JJ Harris at UTA. She was great. And um, but then it, then working with Duval, right. we, we did three films. We did a, a western together with Walter Hill called Broken Trail, which was a great experience. Working with Bobby Duvall every really? day and, and learning a lot from Walter. Walter's like the, he's the guy, man. I've uh, talked to that guy. Love Walter, and I was kind of shadowing Walter because I knew at that point that I wanted to direct, and I've, I learned a great deal of Walter about economy, yes, about camera setup, and about like actors doing their job. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Walter's one of our great filmmakers. I know why he was the guy when I talked to him. I'm like, you know, well, what do you? How do you direct actors? He's like, I don't want. I I hired them to do it. Yes, I don't. I, I'm not. It's not my job to. <laughs> I, I, I I approach directing actors differently. But, yeah. But but he is great in terms of casting. I mean, he, I don't know that he ever gave Robert Duvall direction. Right. He 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 knew he knew why he hired people. Exactly. So so that and and then I did a a, a nice little film um, with Bill Murray and that Duvall asked me to do called Get Low. And then after that, I stopped uh, I stopped uh, working because I'd made Crazy Heart and and I got to tell you, Mark. Um, when you're on this side of the camera, the camera facing the actor, yeah, and I'm behind the camera, and you're watching Jeff Bridges or Robert Duvall or <laughs> yeah. Colin Farrell or Maggie Gyllenhaal. Christian Bale. Christian Bale, Johnny Depp, Casey Affleck, yeah, yeah. Willem Dafoe, Sam Shepard. You know very quickly uh, that you should stay on this side of the camera. So that's interesting, though. But like the but outside of Duvall suggesting it, because it took Duvall forever to, to direct and write a movie. That's I right. mean, the Apostle he must have been in his seventies. He had directed some some documentaries yeah. uh, that are quite quite good. Yeah. Uh, before that, he, he's a real filmmaker. Duvall. Oh no, no, I know, but it's just interesting it. because yes. you know you're young. Yes. And did did he sense that you were not satisfied with acting? Were you not satisfied with acting, yeah, or were you? You know, it, it's because you get if you let's say if you you know if you're look boy, boyishly handsome or whatever, you get offered a certain kind of part, and I wanted to play the parts that De Niro was playing and the Pacino and Duvall and Hackman. But, and, but ultimately, and, like it, it those seemed, sort of things, right? I get it, but ultimately, you know, if you're going to decide to to direct, I mean, it seems like. Look, there's something fundamentally, unless you're a fucking genius. Mm. There's, you know, for me, there's something fundamentally unsatisfying about acting. Yes. So, you know, how do you find the art? How do you find the satisfaction of doing, you know, bits and pieces, three minutes at a time, sitting in a trailer 12 hours? How do you feel rewarded? Right. It, it, it's not like you're doing Death of a Salesman under yeah, Mike yeah, Nichols. Well, that, well the, being in a theater, a to me, that makes sense. I yeah. get that. Oh, absolutely. You know, but, you know, film acting and TV acting when you're a creative person. A lot person, of sitting around. And, and also just sort of like you have, you're, you're just a piece. That's right. You know, what are you really doing? 
And Duvall said to me that very thing. He said, if you love cinema, because we talked about movies all the time, yeah. performances offset. Yeah. And he said, if you love cinema, he said, then you should be a film writer and a film director. He said, because that's your medium. Right. He said, acting is the, is the mediums on the stage. But, you know, discovering, you know, while you're watching actors that, you know, you're in the right place. I, I mean, I get that. But it also takes a certain, you, you know, Lynn, my... Uh, my my partner who passed mm. away she you know she great had a great filmmaker she was oh. and she had a great sensibility about actors i mean they're great with actors yes that's what i mean yeah i mean she you know she knew like you guys got to know you know when a take lands yeah that's a very specific thing you yeah, know i agree and and that's the the whole gift of it yes and you don't stop until and, until you get that that's word. right that you're, that you're 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 envisioning so how do you like is it how do you was it duval that gave you uh, entree into relationships with these actors because it seems that you know either they took a shine to you or somebody said you're the guy. Well, I'll tell you, uh, a lot of it, Mark, is luck. Uh, so I write this screenplay for Crazy Heart. I send it to Robert Duvall, and he says, "Wow, this mm. is really good." Mm. Uh, he said, "Whom whom do you see as Bad Blake?" I said, "Well, I wrote it for Jeff Bridges." Yeah. Do you know Jeff? I said, "No." Uh, I said, do you know him? He said, well, you know, we've, I've met him. He said, why they don't know you know of each other? <laughs> of course. He yeah. said, why don't you write Jeff an, an impassioned letter, which yeah. I did. Yeah. Um, I sent it off. I didn't hear a thing for a year. A year? A year. And, 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 uh, in the interim, I was reading, uh, just in terms of educating myself, yeah. lots of interviews with directors whom I, I love. And I was happy to read a series of, of interviews with the Coen brothers. Uh-huh. And the Cohen said that when they sent him the Big Lebowski, yeah. it took Jeff about a year to read it. So you were willing to wait, though. I was getting close. A, were you doing other stuff? No, and and I had uh, you know a, a young baby. Yeah, because I believed in 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 the screenplay. I yeah. believed in my ability uh, to to tell the story. Because yeah. in the interim, I was touring around a little bit with uh, Merle Haggard. Uh huh. Spending time with him on the Chief, his bus, uh-huh. just getting a sense of of how he moved, how he talked, how he sang, how uh-huh. he how he disturbs the molecules of a room. A year later, I hear from uh, uh, Duval that that um, Jeff loved the script and yeah. wanted to meet. Uh-huh. I also I, I'd said to Bobby, I said the two things I need to make this yeah. film: one is Jeff Bridges, yeah. and the other is T Bone Burnett, uh-huh. neither of whom I knew. Yeah, I sent uh, I sent T Bone the script. T Bone asked me to come in for a meeting. I walk into T Bone's house. And there's a cutout yeah. of Ralph Stanley, the bluegrass, bluegrass musician, guy, yeah. from my neck yeah, of the woods. Yeah. And T-Bone and I, from that point on, were uh, and have maintained a great friendship. He's a great guy. He wanted to do this. Yeah. Uh, he was probably also, also instrumental in, in, in getting Jeff, because they go way back. Uh-huh. So then I go up to, to, to Santa Barbara to meet Jeff, and... Um, we talk about the world. We talk about the screenplay. We talk about how I uh, intend to shoot the film. Yeah. I said, but Jeff, uh, I got to be honest. I've never directed not only a film. Yeah. I've never directed a, a television show, a Anything. commercial, not a, even a, a high school t- play, brother. <laughs> yeah. And he said, you know what? I love first time directors because they don't have bad habits. Yeah. I'm in. Okay. Wow. And Mark, that is a life changing moment. Yeah. Jeff Bridges changed my life. Yeah. And uh, I certainly would not be uh, at WTF, baby, if, if not for Jeff Bridges. And also, what a generous actor in a way. Oh, you know, and the and most just, generous. And just so good in everything and always has he's been. He's a national treasure. Just great. Yeah. He's, uh, he is, he's one of the finest actors America has ever produced. Great. 
great screen actor. So you, you so you build that out and you do that movie, and mm-hmm. but it's just such an interesting thing that that was your first movie. Like you know you, you I, what <clears throat> the seed of it was really what that. Well, the the, the seed of it was uh, a man who had reached the heights was now in the trough. And why why was that appealing to you? Well, because was I think it as a film or yeah, as a, just just in terms of artistic expression, how yeah. how uh, you know life life and also artistic life are nothing but uh, peaks and valleys. It's interesting though because it was a small movie, and in, in the sense of like you know it was intimate. Yeah, very quiet. And film. yeah, and uh, and you know you you did something that you could handle and and control. Oh, uh, wasn't yeah, I wasn't directing uh, you know a David Lean epic, right? Certainly or or even any of your other movies. No, of course. Oh, no, I could never have directed <laughs> and, these and, films that I've made since then. But it's just interesting to me that this movie, which was, you know, a, a kind of like a, a, a human story, very empathetic uh, with some, you know, there, it's not a happy ending per se, but it's a it's a reasonable ending. And it's an honest ending. And honest, that's right. So then you go from there to this out of the furnacing, which then you sort of establish a tone that's right. of how you shoot for mm-hmm. the rest of them. That's right. Yeah, um, and and it's not it's not a, it's not a, it, it's a human story, but it's it's a it's a horrific human story. It is, and I, I will admit that after Crazy Heart, the success of Crazy Heart, uh, critically and yeah. artistically, three and, and three, he won the Academy Awards, right? And T Bone and Ryan Bingham and Maggie was nominated. Yeah, there, so so you know it's all downhill from there, right? No, well, I mean that's that's kind of what you know as a filmmaker, what you would like to do is is kind of toil away in some semi-obscurity so that you can really hone your craft or do another one like that right which is i mean look for someone who was never offered anything as an actor to suddenly be offered every script in town yeah it it was almost paralyzing yeah and i thought well then i need to go back and tell a story that feels like uh i'm telling a story of where america is at the time Mm. telling a story of loss and grief Mm -hmm. and pain that i know well and it's going to be almost uh, diametrically opposed to Crazy Heart. And that was out of the furnace with D- Christian But grief Dale. and pain, you know, in terms of uh, the, the war vet and, and in terms sure. of uh, well, that and, relationship with the brothers. And, and loss of, uh, of a parent, yeah. uh, loss of a sibling, yeah. which I know well. And also living in, you know, rough, a rough neck of the woods. Uh, Western Pennsylvania, the town of Braddock, Pennsylvania, where the great John Fetterman, now U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania, yeah. was the mayor and who was very instrumental in my shooting there. Really? And has become quite a good pal. And yeah. I've been supporting him, Christian Bale and I. Uh, go, John. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that that was a film that... Um, I also love Chimino's The Deer Hunter. Sure. Okay, so there's the tone. And I actually heard from Chimino after he saw the film. Come on. Yeah. He said, you ripped off my lighting. No, he actually <laughs> said to me how much. He said, that's, you know, it's a more intimate version of, of what I was telling. He really loved the film. But uh, I guess that's really, that is that part of Pennsylvania is lit like that. It is. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of and, and, and gray. As I was touring yeah. with Crazy Hard doing all the press, I kept, uh, I went to this town of Braddock, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Which was, uh, had fallen on incredibly hard times. Yeah. And I uh, took photos and I wrote uh, in, a, in a pad, uh, all these locations that I then wrote the screenplay for. And uh, I wrote it for Christian Bale. I didn't know Christian, but I thought this guy is, you know, the best screen actor of my generation. Yeah. Has so much range and facility. Uh, and then I was able to cast him and Casey Affleck. And How does that happen? How do you cast, you know, Christian Bale? Because uh, now well, you've done like three, four movies with him, three movies. Yeah. 
And he's my closest pal. Yeah. I would say the success of Crazy Heart certainly, uh, and I'm guessing we haven't spoken about it. I assume his agents maybe liked Crazy Heart. Yeah. But, oh, well, this is, and it was a hard-hitting script out of the furnace. Um, maybe my facility with, with actors. He, does he like to challenge himself? Christian? Or, yeah. Every time out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's uh, his thing. I think Christian and I kind of see the world the same way, which is if 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 you're making safe choices, you're yeah. making the wrong choices. And mm-hmm. we like to be on uncertain, shaky ground yeah. when we're going into an endeavor. And that's a tough film. Um, that's a tough film emotionally, psychologically. So what do you go, like some, okay, from your first gig as a director, you're working with Jeff, who's worked with everybody. Yes. Duval, some real veterans. So when you say you you do it differently than Walter in terms of how you approach an actor, so what is your approach now? So after you do Crazy Heart, which I, I imagine you learned on the job, and, and no question because uh, you know Bridges is such a sweetheart. Yes, he, he was open to my direction. Yeah, yeah, no question. As as was Colin Farrell and Maggie Hall. Uh-huh. They were they were all incredibly supportive and generous of of me as a first timer. I have to say. Uh, and, and and being able to give a director a, a very specific note, not not uh, something that's abstract. An uh, actor. Yeah. Yeah, give, give an actor yeah, a specific giving an actor note. a yeah. very specific note and, and something that you think uh, might uh, uh, unlock something. You know, because when you come to a set, as, yeah. as Duvall always said to me, he said, yeah. whatever you do, don't rehearse your actors. He said, it should be like a high wire. He yeah. says, because otherwise actors will be in their trailers yeah. or in their hotel rooms making choices of how the scene is going to play and you're going to get poor performance. And so, you're going to have to get them out of their choices. Right. And he said, some of them are too entrenched. Right. So come to the set, be open to all possibilities, have no idea where the scene's going to go. Of course it's, it's, yeah. and, and I, and I spend a lot of time with actors before we yeah. shoot, which I call investigative yeah. text work where we go through every beat, every line. And if a line is unnecessary, we lose it. Yeah. Uh, because cinema I think is much better when it's unspoken. Sure. Uh, so you have Christian Bale, you have the great writer and, and actor Sam Shepard and, and Willem Dafoe and, and, and. Woody Harrelson in that film, and of course Casey Affleck, yeah. and and um, Zoe Saldana, and, and Forrest Whitaker. And it's these sort of are a big menacing environment, too. Yeah, and yeah. these are people that have all made great films, and, yeah. and also one of our the great American writers, Sam Shepard. So yeah. uh, you know that was was intimidating. In fact, my wife came to visit the set one day in Braddock, Pennsylvania, and she said, "Oh no." I'm not coming back," <laughs> she said. "This is this is too intense. So a lot for of her. boy energy. Yeah. And so she, she didn't quite want to be. But how did you wrangle all those guys? You mean in terms of how did I get them cast, or yeah. how did I I, I, I direct? I mean, it's them? your second movie. Okay, I guess you know you you've got you're coming into it with a uh, you know good uh, a little you, bit of momentum from Crazy Heart. Right, but that's like there's a lot of like big actors there, a lot of heavy hitters, and they just were ready to work, huh? Yes, the best, and and I think they probably respected. Again, I'm, I'm supposing because we never really talk about yeah. those sort of things. My relationship with Duvall, yeah, the, the performance is in Crazy Heart. Did Duvall wrangle some other guys for you? No, he didn't. But but he read uh, he read Out of the Furnace and yeah. he liked would, it. Would, oh, loved it. Would look at at cuts. Yeah. Uh, um, that was produced by Ridley and Tony Scott, whom we sure. lost while yeah. we were shooting that yeah. film. Oh, really? And Leo DiCaprio produced it. So we had some really great producers. Um, so you were like they. There was a lot of people that wanted to be in the. Uh, Scott Cooper business. Uh, mm. uh, yes. Well, 
<laughs> yeah. I suppose if they, 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 they all back the film. Yet? Hey, man, you you know, you came out of the gate strong. Like, why not yes. bet on that horse? Yes. Uh, yeah. But I guess in a sense. Um, and, and that, again, was a really tough film. But, but you know, I've been, I've, God, Mark, I've been so lucky that, that when you make a film, um, and I've made a few of them now, that people will come to you and say, that film changed my life. People who, who, who dealt with addiction. Right. Like in Crazy Heart. Sure. Alcoholism. Yeah. Overcame that. Yep. Uh, people who I heard from many soldiers who'd come back from Iraq and Afghanistan mm -hmm. and say that you come home and there's no one there to help yeah. you. No one there to support you. Yeah. The pain that you're dealing with. Thank you for putting that on screen. Um, many Native Americans for a, a Western I made, Hostiles, who well, that's a, saw yeah, their life. Sure, of course. And when I, I mean, I met you on a plane <clears throat> and I think it was after Black Mass. That was Mass. a nice flight. Yeah, yeah. we that. we we ended up talking like the last hour. You yeah. finally talked to me. I, I was watching you read, read your Willie Nelson book, and I'm like, "Who's that guy? That guy That's seems funny. to be somebody." And then you know we just struck up a conversation, and 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 it was after I'd seen Black Mass. I don't know that you'd made Hostels, or maybe you were making it. I had just made it, I think. Right. Yeah. But I mean, I knew that Black Mass was a a real movie, and whoever made that movie was a. A real guy. Oh, thanks. So, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yes. oh, you're the real deal, man. All right, let's hang out and talk about this shit. That was a nice flight. That was yeah. a fun fun film to make in Boston, I have to say. But but uh, but in terms of, of yeah, obviously these movies are going to have a, a, you know, a, an effect on people. But it's sort of the choices become very interesting to me. You know, like Out of the Furnace. Okay, so you see it as, you know, the, the, a story about America and about, you know, returning vets and about poverty and about drugs and about, you know. Everything we were dealing with. In, sure. And still all are, the time. In 2008, yeah. 2009 when I made it. But then like. 10, Because like Black Mass is really Edgerton's movie in a way. Yeah. And Joel was wonderful in that He's film. great in it. Oh, my It's God. great. So was this like when you're working on that or deciding <laughs> on that, were you, were you like, well, this is a genre that I want to fuck with yeah i mean interestingly in terms of never wanting to be on safe ground i i've i've uh and it, you know consciously subconsciously trying to make films in all different genres yeah. genres that have always inspired me right I made, I made a music film right i made a kind of a searing drama in out of the furnace then yeah. I made a gangster film but i wanted it to be uh the type of gangster film that that was unlike most gangster films which are where we celebrate the gangsters i mean who doesn't love Scorsese? Who doesn't love Coppola? And the way that the gangsters are, are larger than life, and we and we and we almost—they live an aspirational lifestyle. I wanted Black Mass to be quite the opposite of that, mm. almost be the anti-Departed, which is a wonderful film what? made on the same um, the same uh, subject. Whitey Bulger, The Departed. That's right. Where you know Jackie plays uh, 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 the Whitey character, right? And it, but you know, a lot of times I think. Scorsese over time did not glorify the mob as it's half and half. Well, he's also Italian. He knows those people. They're yeah. larger than life and he knows them intimately. Well, that was the thing that struck me about Black Mass was that, you know, Rory's role. Rory Cochran. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and Jesse's. Oh, man. Were, were so authentic. It was disturbing. You know, he, you know, Johnny did a great job. Yes, he did. But those guys, to, to me, a tough part to play. But Rory was like transcendent. It was like, what the fuck? Because I had seen, I had met a couple of dudes that were killers in New York around show business and around drugs, and they have a certain vibe to them, mm -hmm. real killers. 
And, you know, after talking to Rory, like, you know, I couldn't get a lot out of him, but I assume he's met a few killers. And he met a few that, that were, were very closely involved with Whitey Bulger, in fact. Oh, he went and talked to the guy that he played? Oh, I mean, he was hanging out with John Martirano, who was now walking the streets, uh, who was, you know, one of the Was that the other season. guy? The guy who was eating the, the nuts? Yeah. Double Earl, Earl Brown played him. Beautiful. He's great. Another great role. They were another, but see, I'd never seen those guys played in in such an authentic way. Yeah, like they were horrible. Yes, Rory and yeah, and that's really what I wanted to put forth, as opposed to this kind of aspirational gangster yeah. life. It was yeah. quite the opposite. Yeah, and and I and I I think uh, people probably prefer the former. I mean, look, anytime you make a film in the footsteps of Coppola yeah. and and Scorsese. You know Jean Pierre Jean Pierre Melville, the gang, yeah. great gangster director yeah. from France. You know it's like, man, you're really setting yourself up well, for well, failure. But I think that the interesting thing was to same with making a western, John Ford and Eastwood and Hawks and yeah. But you, I mean, but there, there's, there's a way you're approaching it. I mean, this was about you know it was about a couple of guys from the same neighborhood, brotherhood, really. yeah, family, and it yeah. was about you know the corruption of. Of, of someone with integrity or yeah, yeah. slow corruption that's of someone. That's exactly right. Yeah. So so that's a different take. Yes. You know, I mean, you know, Depp had done Donnie Brasco. Beautiful. Which, oh, yeah. It, that's a, that, that movie doesn't get the love oh, it no, deserves. Oh, uh, no. Criminally underrated. It, totally. Uh, for both of them. Yes. You know, that, you know, as his sympathy grows, yeah. that he's gotten in too deep. You know, how do yes. you extract yourself from yes. that? Where, it, where the opposite of that is Joel, who's... You know, slowly compromising his conscience and, and, and making exceptions. Oh, he gives a heartbreaking performance, Joel Edgerton. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when the jig is up in Harbor, who's like the best, it's like, you know, when Harbor sits him down and all that insanity that Harbor brings to anything. I love David Harbor. Oh, he's the greatest. Great guy. Great actor. I really want to work with him. Yeah, he'll again. light you up, man. That guy, he's so him. funny I, when I talked to him. I loved him. I, I, yeah. I, I, I should become friends with more people that I talk to, but I don't. But anyway. Well, hold on. You and I are pals now. Yeah, we are. Yeah, Good. we text. Yeah, we text. Yeah. yeah. I, but I like I never know when to text people. Like I have a few people's numbers, yeah, but, but I'm like, I'm not going to bother. And you know, why? People like to hear from you. I'm not going to bother Guillermo. Because I, I assume like, you know. Guillermo like, would love it. He's well, such was, a We were going to be friends, but then it's just like, I guess he got busy. And then I always personalize it. I'm like, I fucked up somehow. You know, like, <laughs> Yeah, you know, I just never want to be the guy that you know the bing on the phone happens and they look at it and go like, oh, fuck, what does he want? Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I hardly think they'll well, take it. Well, I have way. guys like that, don't you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but so, but but I so so it was conscious then, the process of deconstructing and reconstructing the gangster your, picture. The, the gangster picture. One hundred percent. In fact, the film that most influenced that was Coppola's *The Conversation*. Just in yes. terms of how he approached uh, the world, in terms of uh, composition, lighting, um, how he told the story. Of course, that's that's my favorite uh, Coppola film. Really. Boy, I think it's awfully good. Watch that again, John Cazale. And, God uh, damn it. And, I got to uh, watch it. Well, I know. Uh, I got to watch Hackman. I know. I know. In it too, I know. I know. I, no, it's you a know, wonderful I got to watch film. it again. I just, I don't, I just remember the obsessive Hackman. I, you know, sometimes when I see actors that I know can, un, you know, just kind of mm-hmm. fucking light shit up and play some, a compressed guy. Yes. It's, it's, I, I appreciate it, sure. but I don't find it satisfying. I see. <laughs> well, but, I, I mean, but I gotta watch it again. No, I understand that. I mean, look, I didn't go to I didn't go to film school, so my film school is watching Coppola, Kurosawa, uh, no, Scorsese yeah, sure. with the sound off. I watching watched, how they tell stories, how they I, move the camera. More importantly, when they don't move the camera. I watched how, Rain People. Uh, I watched in, in, in preparation to talk to James Kahn. 
Jimmy Conn. Well, let me ask you about Depp in, in, in Black Mass. Now, did you want him to, at times, look like a ghoul? Uh, you know... It, it it we pushed it a little bit right so that that, but that was intentional a bit more extreme yeah yes um johnny is an actor who who i think excels and prefers to uh to look different than he does as johnny depp yeah if you look at all of his parts sure apart from maybe donnie brasco right uh and maybe that's the curse of just being impossibly handsome when you're young sure. and you want to i mean i don't know yeah I psychoanalyzed him but in terms of wanting to look like anything but yourself yeah and he looks very different than whitey yeah but i uh what was important is was that we were able to get a type of uh of almost cobra like yeah like a demon from from, yeah from those eyes yes and and his ability to strike when people least expected it Mm. um i recall showing the film to someone who was working on the movie and afterwards he came out of the screening room and he was the blood had drained from his face. He was from Boston. Mm. He uh, uh, was crying. And I said, yeah. I said, are you okay? He said, well, when I was a kid, my father owned a convenience store in, in Boston. Southie. In Southie. Yeah. And, my, and, and Whitey would come by every month and want his tax. Yeah. My father was a concert pianist. And one yeah. year, he couldn't pay Whitey because he was paying for our education. And Whitey broke his finger so he could no longer play piano. That's the kind of guy he was and touched people a fucking monster. In, in, in Boston. So that was really what I was trying to put on screen. But also then seeing a, a human version for someone who then loses a child, someone whose brother is the most powerful politician in the city, played by Benedict Cumberbatch, and seeing their relationship, uh, seeing this relationship with Joel Edgerton disintegrate. Um, I love making that film. It's great, man. And then, and then you just decide, like, all right, let's kind of uh, let's kind of uh, pull the western apart. Yes, that was an intentional thing too. It was indeed. And how you how 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 is Scott Cooper going to own these genres? Well, uh, owning them is. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I, all right. Yes. So making them your own is what yes, you, okay. uh, right. And and look, when you grow up in Virginia, you are saddled with the history of of uh, the, the 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 horrible, horrendous original sin of slavery yeah and our incredibly manifest awful, destiny incredibly awful mm. treatment of native americans genocide so as a yes that's what america is founded upon yeah. slavery and genocide yeah right and taking advantage of others right um so as a virginian how do you try i mean you, you can never ex- expunge yourself from that so i through through cinema i thought well then let's tell a story about a very hardened uh, U.S. Army captain who was indoctrinated by the United States government to 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 view Native Americans a certain way. Yeah. And then over the course of the journey, does he realize that uh, he's been seeing them and the world all wrong, and he ends up uh, uh, avenging their deaths? Right. It's a it, you know that's a turn that you wish to happen for for more people, especially Amen. now, uh, and it's possible that that is possible. Uh, if you well, can get we somebody... need it now more than ever. Well, I mean, but it's very hard to get people to connect with their humanity if they're not engaging with humans. Yes, <laughs> or, yes. or or different types of humans. But but so bail. So what what what's the 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 arc of the process in working with him from the from the from the beginning? Well, uh, because we've now made three films together. Uh, Christian has been making films for now thirty five years. Since, since he was a he kid, was twelve yeah. years old. He's worked with every type of director. Yeah. Every type of actor. He's yeah. seen every script, every story. He's seen every process. 
But for him, it's it's broken down very simply. It's all about director yeah. and screenplay. Yeah. And Christian will not only give you notes on his part, but he'll yeah. give you notes on Jesse's part and yeah. Rory's part and right. Robert Duvall's part, right. all in just trying to serve the story. Uh, whereas most actors like to think, okay, well, how big is my part? How many lines do I have? Christian doesn't doesn't approach. He uh, needs that to know the all. world he's moving through and the people he's dealing with. That's exactly right. So yeah. um, we start with screenplay. Like I said, investigative text work. Every scene, every line. Is yeah. it necessary? Is it working? All the way through. This is him as him. Yeah, and, and then you're and, sitting there at a table. Yes, okay. o- over many many sessions. Yeah. Um, and out of all this, his his grown. I, I, I have benefited from a really deep and close uh, friendship with yeah. him, uh, almost like a brother to me. Yeah, uh, he is in fact. So through that, because our films are not easy to make. Yeah, no film is easy, but mine are particularly difficult. Yeah, psychologically, emotionally, physically, difficult well, locations. Well, in, in terms of well, difficult locations, difficult yeah. weather. Yeah, difficult material every day that you have to mine as an actor. Right, but but like in terms of like making movies in general, it is it, it's sort of a, a a a big mountain to climb. But is there something that you do you make them more difficult for yourself? Uh, my wife thinks so. Uh-huh. She recently sent me the opening um, credits to the new season of The White Lotus, which takes place in Sicily, I yeah. guess. And she's like, "Why can't we fucking make a movie here? You're always at eight thousand feet above sea level, or you're in you know Western Pennsylvania." Because you like it dark, man. Yes. So uh, <laughs> this would be gray and cold. Yes. I mean, minus eight on mm-hmm. Pale Blue Eye, or you yeah. know, eight thousand feet above sea level on. Uh, um, uh, hostiles uh, with yeah. torrential uh, monsoonal rain. What, where were you in Colorado, Montana? What? Yeah, well, right. uh, New Mexico, Colorado. We, we, I grew we up never in New shot Mexico, that one in uh, sequence. We shot that for the first time in sequence from the beginning to the end. Oh, and yeah. we moved up, uh, moved up north. Uh, yeah, I was. Uh, you know, I grew up in Albuquerque, and I, you know, I've been wanting to thinking about going back, but I don't think I'm gonna. Why? I love New Mexico. I love it. I love it's it too. Such a great state. The people the are so welcoming. Yeah, I was looking at. I was looking at. Uh, you know. Um, uh, at properties up uh, behind the mountain, up between Santa Fe and Albuquerque and Cerritos. Oh, love it. Yeah, but like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. There's no water there. Well, you think, well, there's no water here. I know, exactly. But there's no water there. Yeah, right. So I'm, th- I'm thinking if I'm going to go, I'm going to go somewhere where there's water. Yes. Farther north. Yeah. Montana. Maybe. Canada, baby. I love Canada. Uh, yeah. All right. So anyway, so we're talking about working with Christian. So- so okay, so you you break it down and you you, you go in you, you go down you you go inside out with the thing, always and see where he's and at. out of that uh, I, I can assure you becomes a better film. But he builds his own he character, he does, and we talk about it at great length. And then on the day, um, because we've we've discussed it uh, ad nauseum, hmm. uh, we're completely locked in. And and if I see that there needs to be any type of adjustment, he'll just give you so many options. Throughout, uh, and in particular, the film we just finished, The Pale Blue Eye, yeah. which uh, I think uh, requires careful and repeated viewings. You'll see that he gives a, a, a really remarkable performance that, um, on a second viewing, might even be better. But Christian gives you so many options as an actor. Um, well, knowing what you know from the first viewing and then watching it again has got to be like watching an entirely different movie. All the breadcrumbs are there. Right. Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. By design. But yes, working with Christian, working with Rory, Jesse, the, the kind of the Cooper rep company, um, has been uh, one of the uh, great blessings in, in my life. I would think they all work pretty differently. They do. And uh, I've made uh, three movies with uh, all of them. 
Yeah, it seems like, you know, but they're all of the, the kind of like, well, Christian is, he's one of those guys where it's like, you're not, how, how's anyone going uh, to explain, especially him, however the fuck he does it? He's just a magical guy. Correct. And these other guys are the character actors are, are different. So you deal with a, a pretty authentic crew. You do. Yeah. I do. And, and they go incredibly deep. Yeah. Uh, uh, back to Black Mass, Rory and Jesse spent a lot of time dealing with people who've done a lot of cruel and deadly things. And that takes its toll on you uh, as an actor. Uh, I think uh, Rory's performance in that film is one of the great performances. It's the best. Where you know where you know where he's they got to deal with the girl. I mean, he sees Johnny Depp strangle his young, you know, lover slash daughter stepdaughter yeah. in front of him, and uh, I slowly glide off of Johnny onto him, and we just hear her off screen, and it's devastating. I mean, Rory went to some incredibly deep places and i'm grateful that he would put himself through that uh whatever his process is but it's a, a he he also did the same thing on hostiles where uh, which was a tough tough film to make and and his character undergoes is living with post-traumatic stress disorder and 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 there again took a, and, a deep toll on rory and 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 once bale is locked in he's locked in and once christian's locked in he's locked in he's like a thoroughbred and right. all he needs is a little bit of this a little bit of that mm. And off he goes. And it, it's, I, I have to say, look, as, as a film director who's written these, these screenplays, to see the, these characters, these actors, bring them to life in this way is beyond satisfying. I, I would leave the set every day saying to myself, my God, I've just seen some of the great screen acting that- uh, Ever. Yeah. I mean, truly. I, no, I agree with you. And, and are, you a, a, are you a guy that knows when you have your take oh, early? Or oh, you... yeah, yeah. And I, and I don't do a lot of takes yeah. because uh, the actors and I are in such sync by the time we get to, to, right. to the floor. Mm-hmm. that uh, uh, And then if we want to explore some things as well that, that neither of us considered, just to give me options in the, in the cutting room for sure. But um, I think if you're incredibly well prepared and you are uh, really focused on the, the most minute details, out of that comes great, great performance. So, and you give actors a lot of room. Yeah. I do. Yeah. I, I mean, love actors, adore actors. I, I can tell. And yeah, and, yeah, and Hostel has had a, a bunch of great actors in it. Yes. Yeah, I've been blessed to, to work with Be- uh, some of the best. Um, and then like Antlers, which I watched recently, uh, there, I, I think there's a continuation of some sort of, uh, uh, a, a, a sort of sympathetic, empathetic kind of, uh, uh, embracing of, uh, uh the sort of uh, spiritual nature of Native Americans. <clears throat> That's exactly right. But it's also an, an elegy for America and, and, It's a horror movie. It's a horror movie and, and we're dealing with, uh, with, with, uh, the opioid crisis, and we're dealing with Meth. family trauma, methamphetamines, and no, uh, I get that's the core of it, but it it's but it is a horror movie. It's, it's a, a horror movie. film. It's a horror movie, but but it is one of those horror movies where the ancient evil is a Native American one. That's right. And and there I hadn't go. seen Graham Greene in a while, and I just like the sort of like that the the only guy to know is the uh, the old sheriff. Who's a Native American? Yeah, and there were a few scenes of his that that didn't make the film, yeah. but probably should have. That would have ultimately made it, I think, a richer telling. Oh yeah, yeah. You go back and you look at a film later, and you think, "My God, I cut these scenes that I should never have cut." But really, the, we, but what, what would they have of uh, grounded? I think probably just giving us more insight into into the the beast. Yeah, and Native American lore. Yeah, um, I'm always very sensitive uh, to 
Native American stories and their plight and trying to, you know, as a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, these, trying to get them get them right. And I use sure. Native American advisors and, and oh yeah, oh yeah, both both hostiles and uh, and antlers. But as a horror movie, it's a basic possession movie. It is. It, yeah, when Guillermo del Toro approached me, he said, uh, he said, dude, your last three films have been horror films. He said, and nobody knows it. Would yeah. you like to make a horror film? And I <laughs> yeah. said, I love horror films. Yeah. Uh, oh, really? So he's the guy that got you into this? Yeah. I, I've had producer directors. Let's yeah. see. Well, Duvall's a director. Yeah. He produced Crazy Heart. Ridley and Tony Scott produced Out of the Furnace. Guillermo yeah. del Toro produced this. So I've had a lot of directors Who produce. produced Hostels? Uh, just uh, myself and, oh. and my producer, John Lesher. Hmm. But Guillermo, yeah. Well, I can see Guillermo's influence in this. Oh, no in question. In, in terms of developing the character uh, of the Wendigo. Yeah, but I got to work with the great Carrie Russell, who's amazing. She's and, great, yeah. And Jesse Plemons and, Again, and yeah. Jeremy Thomas, this young boy who had never stepped foot on a set, never seen a film camera. And the guy who played the dad, that was gnarly. And I like how it starts as a meth yes. story. And, yeah, right. and because it is sort of a meth hallucination. The whole it is. The whole it. film is. I yeah. mean, look, it's not an entirely successful film, but- uh, Really? What's I the matter it? with it? Well, uh, actually- you know what? Maybe nothing. No, but I mean, like, yeah, I but know. you said you would have liked a few yeah, scenes have, with Graham Greene. I, I think there were a couple of of scenes that maybe would have uh, 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 lent more um, depth mm. to uh, to the story. Mm. I mean, because it's straddling. Uh, uh, it's a rough monster family drama of, uh, and also a monster film. It's a rough monster. Just you know, and I weird. think people either want more drama or yeah. they want more horror. more monster. Yeah, like because yeah. you know you kind of got the antlery thing, which is scary and noisy. The window, yeah, yeah, and then it and then it gets in you. And then it just yeah shreds it possesses you, you. Yeah, yeah, and we're all kind of possessed with this yeah, yeah. this darkness. We just never know ancient when darkness. It's, yeah, when it's going to uh, erupt. Right, and meth will bring out the ancient darkness quicker than It'll bring other. out the worst in us. <laughs> all right, so now we get to this one that I just watched in the movie theater, this Pale Blue Eyes movie, which I didn't realize that come from a Poe story or a Poe poem. I was just thought it was a Velvet Underground song. I was like, uh, wow, Cooper's. I was wearing Velvet. a Pale Blue Eye hat in New York City, and some guy's like, oh. Is that the Velvet Underground? He yeah. said, no, but I love that song. Yeah, it's a great song. But I didn't know, like the guy, the kid who played uh, Poe. Harry Melling? Yeah. I mean, you got a real, you got really, you really got something out of that guy. He's remarkable. Oh film. my God. I had only seen him one other time, which was in the Coen Brothers, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Yeah, he's amazing that. that he played the armless, legless yeah, guy. Yeah, the kind yeah. of limbless performer yeah. that Liam Neeson carries around the yeah, American and West. Throws off the And I, I said to Christian, I have found our Edgar Allan Poe. You've uh, got to watch this. And Bale was like, Jesus Christ, this kid's remarkable. Yeah. He then put himself on tape for me so generously. Yeah. I sent it to Christian. Christian was like, why would we look at anybody else? Right. He, was, he, was he producing it with you? Christian, he did, yes. So what? Uh, why this story? Where the hell did this come from? As a Virginian uh-huh. and with a father who uh, had lots of literature lying around the house, uh-huh. I spent my formative years in Virginia, so yeah. did Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. He was uh, kind of a constant presence. Really? He was. Faulkner, Poe, uh, Cormac McCarthy, mm-hmm. Catherine Porter, yep. you know, on and on and on. And- after Crazy Art, my father said, I've just read the most clever novel in which uh, a young Edgar Allan Poe, who was a cadet at West Point, is at the center of a detective story, which is detective fiction, which was bequeathed to us from Edgar Allan Poe. And I read it just uh, uh, on a lark, and I thought, my God, this could make an interesting film if I could do three things. Yeah. One, I could make a film that's a whodunit, but I could make a film that's also kind of this father and son love story about two 
um, uh, loners who live on the margins who come together, mm-hmm. form this bond and this friendship. That being Poe and, and Bale's character? Yeah, Augustus Landro, this yeah. detective. Uh-huh. And most importantly, it could be an Edgar Allan Poe origin story because as, a, as Americans, we think of Poe as when he's much older and he's the, the, the master of the macabre and the dark arts who's, who's obsessed with the occult and the satanic and, yeah. and, and obsessed with do- death and tragedy and grief. But I wanted Poe before that. A youngster, a romantic, yes. a he's poet. He's romantic, he's poetic. And he's, he's stuck in a military academy. Where he should never have been. Right. And he's warm and witty true? and Was humorous. He? Yeah, he was there for seven months yeah. and uh, summarily um, booted. But, uh, but already an alcoholic. Yes. 1830, uh, uh, my research led me to believe that that was the time when America drank the most. Mm. And you'll see a lot of that in, in this story. But I wanted the events that take place in this two-hour narrative to motivate Poe to become the writer he became. Interesting. because Right. So because what happens at the end, the twist at the end, there's a couple. Yes. But there's sort of an, an, an a seeming emotional betrayal that really wasn't. That that you know brought them closer together. That's right, and yes. and also made them accept the shortcomings of either. That's exactly right, and when and and when Poe leaves the film for the last time, he's become a very different man from the man whom we first met. Yeah, it's a, I, it's almost like a rite of passage uh, of to to be brokenhearted in a way he didn't anticipate. Exactly, and everything that happens in this film, then motivates him to become the writer of the telltale heart and a premature burial and yeah. the raven and but the also like yeah to but to forego whatever innocence you were able to capture with that actor that you know this is a poe that you know we don't know at all a young man yes who is unformed uh, still naive and romantic yes and uh you know warm witty warm and witty and and also you know a sucker for love yes he so, falls quickly and deeply right and 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 that you know whatever the the process of his heart breaking over time to make him what it was. This was the first turn of the screw. That's exactly right. Well put. Julian Anderson was kind of astounding, and I have to assume that you know when you're directing her in this thing, you it might have been one of those moments where you're like, "What the fuck is happening?" It was great. <laughs> well, we go back to the X Files, mm-hmm. though she didn't remember that I had a part in. In one of the episodes, she had forgotten that when I mentioned it. Well, was it a big part? I, I think so. Yeah. Big enough? It was. Yeah, she for did sure. a lot of them. Dude. Yeah, she did tons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but she's so uh, has so much range, and, almost and, unidentifiable. Yes, and the eccentricity that I asked from her, yeah. she gave me, and then some. It was crazy. That, yes. that character is crazy. And then Toby Jones and the he great was good. Timothy Spall. Yep. Simon McBurney, Duvall, yep. um, uh, Harry Melling, young Lucy Boynton, who plays uh, Leah, Poe's love interest, is is also really quite good and very committed in the film. I mean, it, I thought it was, I, uh, it kept turning and, and it was all surprising. And you, you know, oh, not, it was odd because I just watched two of uh, of Ryan Johnson's movies. Oh, which I, are also whodunits. Exactly. Yeah. So, but I didn't know yours was a whodunit. So I, I had to interview him. So I watched. You know, I just I watched uh, Knives Out and Glass Onion. Right. But I didn't know I was getting into a whodunit. And when I'm watching your movie, not until like a third of the way through, I'm like, "Oh fuck, it's a whodunit movie." Yes. And here I, but structurally, it's a whodunit movie. But it's it's gothic and yes. it's a it's 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 using all the 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 genre points of horror. Yes. And, and the but elements also, of Poe. Poe, but also historical. Story, hundred percent planted in yeah, in yeah, America yeah. of yes. a certain time, yeah, and yeah. For for people who and having not seen uh, Glass Onion, for yeah. people who who 
come to this um, wanting, and because I've seen the first one, that type of tone and a whodunit might be disappointed. Because it is the, with the, your movie, yeah. Because they're very different. Oh no, approaches. this is this is a this is a historical movie, and also it's got like all that good. It's got some Satanism in it. Well, Poe was obsessed with the occult and the yeah. satanic. Yeah, and you can't make a film that has Poe at its center sure. if you don't explore. No, those but things. I like I like all that stuff, man. You yeah. get the candles going, knives, blood, a lot of candles in this film, <laughs> and it was cold. Mark, you use the same cinematographer. Yes, Masanobu Takianagi, who's Japanese. Huh. Um. He's a remarkable filmmaker, great cinematographer, and really a true artist. Uh, this was uh, an incredibly tough film to make uh, in terms of um, what in you terms shot of upstate New York. Yeah, we, we shot a little bit there. We shot Western Pennsylvania, mm. close to Lake Erie, up in the Alleghenies, mm. and and it was really, really cold, brutally cold. All right, so now we've got you've got antlers, pale blue eyes, antlers black mask. Antlers was shot by Florian Hofmeister, who shot the film recently. Tar, he's German. I like Tar. wonderful filmmaker. I like Tar. I just talked to Todd. Yeah, you guys are kind of similar. Oh yeah, I need to see that film. Oh yeah, I liked it. I've been woefully behind. It's good. It's got a good turn. Do you know that guy? Uh, no, no, no. Just Todd Field. Know his work. Yeah. You seem like you would know each other. You guys are you're both actors who. Yeah, that's right. Who uh, ejected? Yes, <laughs> ejected and and haven't yet come down. <laughs> so when do we? When are you going to make a light movie? Man. I mean, just even like you know, in, in terms of lighting. <laughs> 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 you mean right physically? Uh, well, that's a good question. I, I uh, Christian and I are going to make another film that that is really out of the trilogy of uh, stands alone from the three films that I've, we've made together. That's mm. um, a remake of a French film uh, called L'Empoir du Temps by Laurent Canté, which is a uh, film called Time Out. That's yeah. the American. Um, yeah which I saw in 2001, and I thought to myself, my God, yeah. this movie has stayed with me ever since. It's a remarkable film that no one that I know has ever seen it. Mm. And it's about an unemployed man who finds his life slipping more and more into danger as he keeps his story from his family and friends. And um, Of what he's up to? Yes. Mm. And uh, I have adapted that, uh, and Christian is- Is he a gambler? going to star in it? No. Um, well, it, it, you know, it, in a sense, but if you haven't seen that film, Time Out by Laurent Conte, 2001, it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Really remarkable. And, and, and he was gracious enough to let me uh, not remake it, but giving it uh, a new uh, screen edition. Is this a genre movie? No. Uh-uh. No. It's, it's, why don't you make a musical? Well, uh, <laughs> why don't you lighten I it up? I made a little music in, in Crazy Heart. I know. There's some music okay. in there. Lighten it up. How about a comedy? Come on. You know, if, if I were ever going to make a film about Elvis Presley, I would want it to be about the last day in Elvis's life. Sure. As opposed to. I'll tell you, that kid who played Elvis in that Elvis movie. Yeah, how is he? Fucking great. Oh, man. Like, towards, they're, they're going back and forth between that day wow. with the real Elvis and him. It's hard to tell. Wow. Mick Jagger once asked me to make a film about Sam Phillips, the great Sam Phillips. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, in Memphis, of course, Sun Records founder. I guess so. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. An he's interesting an interesting story. guy. Who, he's Sam Phillips? Of, yeah, he's oh, a mystical yeah. dude. Yeah. I mean, I- I think I, he's a guy that bought his own bullshit eventually. I think so. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I'm eager to see that. I think- uh, What? Baz the Elvis? Is, yeah, well, Baz is such a it's great- It's fun. A lot of people are hard on it, but it's sort of like, you know, well, why don't you lighten the fuck up? It's a Baz Luhrmann movie. I auditioned for Baz yeah. for uh, Moulin Rouge. Yeah, and it's like- uh, it, it it's it's I thought I found it entertaining. 
And I think that's what he's trying to do. But of the course. guy, the guy was convincing. It does, none of that shit works. Because if you know the guy you're making a biopic about and the actor is just falls short, then you, you, there's no way you can totally lock in. No. It's just this weird homage no, to something. That's exactly but th- right. But this guy, you know, is in it. And and there's so many layers going on. Oh, I've got know. to see this. And I love Baz's work. He's his own IP. Dude, he shoots it through, you know, some of this, uh, you know, the nerds, not the nerds, but the music historians are like, you know, it wasn't really like that, this or that. But to do it from the point of view of a compulsive, you know, degenerate gambler, you know, aging Tom Parker, yeah. who had made decisions for Elvis's life that, that right. hobbled him. Yeah. And that's- Did they that, ever? Right, but that's, you know, Baz... That's great drama. Right, but Baz decides to shoot from his point of view. That's you know, and Yeah, man. I mean, that's a big risk. Of course, Baz does nothing but takes big risks. Yeah. I mean, I, I found it enjoyable. Fuck it. Great, man. Yeah, yeah. no, no. I, I uh, Now that I've just finished... Uh, I literally just delivered this film a couple of weeks ago. You're, uh, this movie's great, too. I mean, I loved oh, it. I, yeah, no, it was great. You know, I, the thing that I, keep, that I keep thinking about is like the, the sort of... Uh, you got, now I got to watch it again, knowing how it ends, and mm-hmm. to see what you did there. Really, it's it's weird that this is a movie as an assignment. You do have to watch it twice because, so. you know, okay, so there's no way to know where it's going the first time you watch Never. it, and then you want to know, like, you know, is there any way to know? And there is. Come on, of course. When you watch it the second time, you'll be like, oh my god, that's yeah. But but is that the same? But way? you aren't thinking that way when you're watching the film because you're just hopefully giving yourself over to a certain era. Uh, but so you think they're, characters they're, that that you find entertaining? I mean, this is a more accessible film than some of my others, right? Oh no, sure, yeah, definitely, yeah, because it, you this know is my version of Downton Abbey. Yeah, hopefully you were transported to what didn't feel like you were in a period picture, but felt like you were in a certain location. Because I hate watching period movies where it just feels like people are in costumes. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Up. Yeah, no, you definitely felt it. And also, what you realize is that the 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 nature of toxic masculinity and and mm. rapey douchebags. As, uh, They're it, out there. Forever. Forever. Even, uh, uh, I mean, every day, yeah, Mark. I know. I know. Unfortunately. And yeah. I don't know what to, what's wrong with men. Fuck. Uh, something something broke. They treat women with respect and yeah. dignity and, and kindness yeah. and love. And, yeah. And many, and many of us do. Yeah. But there are those who do not. Yeah. And, and I don't know if it's a sense of uh, uh, privilege, entitlement. Uh, I think it's just pain. That, I what think it's, it? it's. I think it, there's some Upbringing? sort of fundamental kind of strange um, misogyny at the core of the dynamic. That mm-hmm. uh, it, it's a threatened thing. I think uh, that men are threatened somehow. Yeah. Uh, look, I grew up with a very strong mother, mm-hmm. strong wife, two very strong, uh, independent-minded young daughters, mm-hmm. and uh, for that, I'm thankful. Yeah. Um, and and but I I do worry about them. Yeah, how can you not, dude? But um, who who you want to work with now? Uh, Mark Maron. Come on, come on, man! I'll do great. It. Yeah, give me a little something. You kidding? Give me one speech you? and something. Uh, I would love to work with John Riley. Yeah. Um, what about the big boys like Bob De Niro and? Oh, I mean, come on, it, Al, uh, Bob. I mean, if I could pull Gene Hackman out of uh, retirement, good luck. Never. It's not going to happen. Mm-mm. I mean, it's remarkable you can have such. Such yeah. a facility, have have such a career and just say, I, I no longer want to be a film actor. I'm just going to write. Yeah, but it's like at some point you have to ask yourself, it's like wh- whatever I've been chasing, whatever successes I've had, you know, what do I want out of my life? Yeah. You know, at a certain point, 
you know, why not, if you can, pull yourself out? Exactly. You know, uh, uh, <laughs> it's uh, not uh, like he didn't do enough. No. There's a, there's a young actor that I really want to work with. Yeah. I think she's remarkable. Her name's Florence Pugh. Do you know her? Yeah. Man, she's Lady Macbeth. Have you seen that performance? Uh-uh. Great. Oh, God. Towering. For, I don't know how old she is. What, mid-20s? She's remarkable. Never a false moment. Uh, I'd like to work with her. Yeah. Well, this movie's great. It was great talking to you. Uh, you too, Mark. Thanks, man. Thanks for doing it. Come on. Are you kidding me? There you go. Right? Duval. Duval. When we were out, we were out on the porch after the interview, and, and, and he... Uh, Duvall left a message for him. It was great. It was great. I, I don't think I'm talking out of school here. He played a little of it for me. It was just Duvall talking about a movie he'd watched. It was like just an old guy talking about a movie, but it was Duvall. It was beautiful. So you can stream The Pale Blue Eye on Netflix starting tomorrow, December 23rd, and I'd like you to hang out for a minute if you could. Thank you. Hey, look, I'm sure you take a lot of vitamins. Maybe you take a daily multivitamin. Maybe you take ones to boost your immunity or ones to help with alertness. What about your cells? Are you giving your cells the full nutrition they need, especially as we age? I am, thanks to Solgar. Solgar is part of my daily routine, thanks to their cellular nutrition line. Give yourself a daily collection of nutrients designed to help fight cellular decline and promote cell health. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more and use promo code MarkMarin, all one word, to get 20% off. So, folks, we've been looking back at my old radio show, Morning Sedition, on the full Marin feed. This week, we just posted a new episode with Chris Lopresto, my old board op. We have some fun reminiscing and listening to clips and having some laughs. And we'll be doing more of that in the future weeks because there are still a lot of great clips like this one which is appropriate for the holidays. There's a darkness on the edge of town, heathens, and his name is Christmas! <laughs> the most pagan of holidays, not sanctioned by the Bible. For according to researchers at the University of California at San Diego, or UCS Demonic, <laughs> more people die of heart attacks on Christmas Day than on any other day. This is not news gluttons. For it was prophesied in a little-known poem in Revelation, one Adam 12, one Adam 12, we have a bear attacking a fat man. And I quote, "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse, except Uncle Herbie, whose pathetic life at most is an omelette of darkness on top of bleak toast." Anyway, it seems Uncle Herbie had been up all night celebrating the loss of one more day in his life. He drank past his limit, cramming food down his throat until his kidneys did bleed and his liver did bloat. In his stomach sat a big ball of gluten, while the pores on his face looked like cheese they were sputin'. His colon did kink, did buckle and shudder, while it oozed a soft substance much like fresh butter. Oh yeah, Herb's a sleazeball, but wait, there's much more. His son's a pusher, his mother a whore. And all through the night, as his stomach did gurgle, he dreamt of a neighbor's freezer to burgle. Just then, through the hallway, Santa did skulk, dragging behind him his big bag of bulk. He laid down the presents one by one, a pile of sawdust, a whole wheat bun, a bucket of bran, nitrate-free sugar plums. And when he was finished, Herbie was dead. A vessel broke or something, and Santa was taken downtown for questioning. Shun boon ta 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 ta. 
End quote. If you want to hear more bonus material like that, sign up for the full Marin by going to the link in the episode description. And while you're there, you can also submit a question for a future Ask Mark Anything episode. Wait, you hear this. I pulled out the 335 and I plugged it into the little uh, 53 Deluxe and cranked it up. Got some nice mud. Here's some nice mud. Clean mud, though. Weirdly clean mud. Fonda. Cat angels everywhere. <laughs>